Welcome to Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Sarah Black. And I'm Jeffrey Lilly. And today we are returning to 1692 and discussing Sir William Phipps, governor during the Salem Witch Trials. Governor. Governor. Governor Phipps. How many times are we going to say that this episode? I keep running through my head. I I was going to ask if we could make the uh, Instagram governor, just G-O-V-N-A with an apostrophe. It sounds appropriate. That could be Sir Governor Phipps. I like it. (laughs) He went from a shepherd's boy to a ship's captain to failed treasure hunter to then successful treasure hunter, ultimately becoming the first official royally appointed governor. Governor, <laughs> who just happened to take charge in May of 1692. He assumed power during the greatest witch hunt in the colonies. Of course, we all know the Salem witch trials. And I think we can both agree he didn't do the best job. I don't think he did a job really at all. Yeah. Yeah. Poor guy, though. I will talk about that. I right. feel like a little bad for him. He was at the right place at the right time for but, much of his life. And then- I mean, the right place at the right time. You're appointing the first royal governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Like, heck yeah. And and then you get off the ship in May. And it's just a... The literal nightmare. Like, I don't... You could not have come up with a worse scenario. Agreed. Yeah. So we'll talk about what he does when he gets here. And he realizes the colonies are kind of in turmoil. Mm -hmm. Massachusetts is... Ooh, kind of going a little crazy. Yeah, yeah. But first, tour time. Tour time. You, not me. Next yeah. week. You're, you should have some stories yeah, for us yeah, next start week. Yeah, tomorrow. Yep. Good luck to you. Thank you, thank you. So, uh, real quick, update on Gladstone High School from Oregon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, A, they are indeed a public school. This is a trip that they've been doing for literally decades, I think, at this point. We have listeners that went there, like, many, many years ago. How crazy is that? Oh, shit. Yeah, and they reached out, and they said, oh, my gosh, so happy to hear that they're still doing this trip. Obviously, it's all paid for by the students, but I think it's, you know, it's a, they've garnered a good reputation for it, and it's such a cultured experience that people are willing to, you know, if they have the funds, to dish it out. And um, And there's probably, what do you call it when you, grants and yeah. and things like that as well. And support offered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. But yeah, I had a couple students reach out to me, say thank you for the tour. They heard the shout out in one of our recent episodes, which just warmed my heart. And then of course I did have some people that used to go there, mm-hmm. no joke, like in the nineties, reach <laughs> out to us. They came to Salem in the nineties? I, I don't know, Okay, but okay. they went to Gladstone High School in the nineties. Okay. Yeah. So, pretty crazy. So, yes, Gladstone High School, public school. Damn it, I wish I would have went there <laughs> when I was in school. Right? They're definitely doing it right. Sound like a good time. Now, one other fun thing from one of my tours this week. I'm going to show you this booking and just get your reaction to this person's name. Okay. Because when they signed up, we thought it was a joke. Do you want to read what you see? Darby Wharf. Spelled D-A-R-B-Y-W-A-R-F. It's not a joke. Okay. That's her real name. Mrs. Worf. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's 
when she showed up for the tour, I was, I asked her, I was like, oh my gosh, is this your real name? <laughs> she said, yes, yes, I know, you guys have a derby wharf. Um, apparently her father, uh, you know how you can like do GPS tracking with like your family? It's super yeah, yeah. popular now. So while she was in Salem, her father took a screenshot of her like little GPS that says Darby Wharf uh-huh. next, next to, to Derby Wharf <laughs> and sent it to her. It was like, look, there's Darby, there's Derby. Oh, that's pretty, that's pretty neat. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you, weird. you probably wouldn't find anywhere that that is your name. Like, that's probably got to be like really uncommon. Oh, yeah. Has yeah. to be. Yeah. So crazy. Good for her. Right? <laughs> You belong in Salem, Darby. Yeah, you gotta. You, now she has to go live on. Well, I guess you can't live on Derby Wharf. You could live on Pickering Wharf. Yeah. So next to it. Yeah. See Derby Wharf every day. So funny. That's weird. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Thanks then, for sharing. Yeah. That's weird. Had a couple listeners too. Shout out to everyone that's booked a, a tour. You guys are awesome. It's so nice to hear from you. I love asking like how long they've been listening mm-hmm. and it can be anywhere from, you know, the beginning, the summer or people that are just starting out their Salem, you know, research, like they're going to come within the next week, next month or so. And they search out podcasts and they find us. So it's or a- they're like, yeah, I listened to you for eight hours on the ride up here. And I'm like, crazy. Love you. So it's always a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Now, before we get into Governor Phipps, we got some Patreon shout outs to make. Shout out. First shout of the week goes to Jen. Just Jen. We'll throw her in that share category. Yeah. Love it. Next, we have Kate Lake. Thanks, Kate. Appreciate you. It's a cool name. Next on the list, we have Colleen Patchetti. We hope we said that right. We did look it up beforehand. I think we got it, though. I think we got it. Next on the list is Hillary Worth. Thanks, Hillary. Sending so much love to my Canadian friends. Oh, yeah. Canada. Yeah. Yay. Oh, Canada. They're awesome. Yeah, we are. I'm, I'm, I meant Hillary. Oh. I thought you meant Canadians. I mean, you guys are cool, too. Okay, thanks. <laughs> and to wrap it up, we have Sam. Just Sam. Jen and Sam. Love it. Iconic. Slightly anonymous, mysterious. I like it. Yeah. Appreciate you guys. Thank you, as always, to our Patreons. You help keep the wheels turning. Help keep the home fires burning. All right. On with the show. Governor. Governor Phipps. Oh. This was one that you really wanted to do. You were Yeah, dead, I, I, dead I, set. I, I, I love him. I like him. Well, I think I more like his... His backstory is interesting, but then his his sort of he gets dropped into just a shit show, and uh, it's it's interesting to see his lack of responsibility to everything that goes on, and I think some of that has to do with the fact that he was probably not really qualified, um, that he was just kind of there. Agreed. Like no real political background. Yeah. But then also imagine if you get appointed this position. And you show up and the job's already a mess, you know. Yeah, but if, co- but yeah. if you have experience as, you know, in in some sort of governmental role, if you'd been like a mayor or like a, 
uh, you know, lieutenant governor, or if you'd been the, the governor of another colony or something like that, then yeah, this isn't something anyone had dealt with before. But people had dealt with with uh, accusations of witches. People had dealt with property disputes. People had dealt with you know uh, medical issues. So coming in and having at least any experience in that role probably would have helped. Fair. I'll I'll give you that. Yeah. I do think he's one of those people that, you know, as we said at the beginning, wrong place, wrong time. He finds himself, as we'll see, in the right place at the right time in many parts of his life uh, leading up to 1692. And we'll also find out that his life is cut relatively short. And in my opinion, that's all karma. (laughs) (laughs) All karma. It's like for those six months of your life where you didn't do shit, you're done. He's born in early February. February 2nd, 1651. Makes him an Aquarius. Oh, very nice. I forgot. Weren't we going to do that? (laughs) We were going to do that. And I'd forgotten and I remembered, so I I double checked. Nice. Can you tell us anything about Aquarius? No. Okay. Well, hold on. (laughs) You can't just leave them hanging. I don't know. I just, it's a fun fact. What are you? Pisces. Ugh. Oh, no, I'm sorry to Pisces out there. I'm so sorry. (laughs) All right, just a quick little rundown of Aquarius personality traits. According to Google, unique, humanitarian. There's a little bit of that in there. uh, Altruistic, Mm. impulsive. Okay. Artistic, loyal, optimistic, and intelligent. Sure. Scorpio? Huh? Scorpio? For me? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought. Not that I like, I just I just know what late October is. They can be a handful. <laughs> we can be a handful. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Is that accurate? I, I I know another another Scorpio who's a bit of a handful. <laughs> She's listening. So Governor Phipps, not Governor yet, of course, born in New England. Yeah, this was something that totally threw me off. I don't know. You know, I don't talk about him too much on my tour. If anything, it's just within the context of the trials mm-hmm. and 1692 and 93 in particular. Because he's not really, you know, he's not a huge figure up until then. I assumed that he was born in England, you know, being the first royally appointed governor for they'd, the colony. Like they'd want one of their own. Kind right. Of, yeah. So to find out that he was actually born in what would be today Maine, Mm -hmm. uh, right near the mouth of the Kennebec River, a region then known as Nequasset, but currently recognized as Woolwich, Maine. So if we have any Mainers up there, you are in Governor Phipps's old neighborhood. And that's just about two hours uh, from Salem. That's not too far. Drive, obviously. Of course. You would not have driven. No. But today. But that's quite... Quite a ways up there. Yeah, yeah. Back in colonial times. Halfway, a third of the way. Yeah. Looks like he was born right alongside the coastline, which makes sense. It's frontier territory. Born in 1651. Just imagine the the conditions of that area at the time. Yeah, so a lot of times we talk about, uh, we've talked about King Philip's War and, and Queen Anne's War and Things along that. And like Salem's obviously considered like frontier territory. But Maine is like the wild frontier. Like 
there's good luck. Logging, shipping is, is pretty much their, their main export up there. Uh, they're cutting down those trees, those logging mills. They're sending those uh, uh, big main pines back to England. Uh, they're great for shipwork and masts. Uh, so that's what they're, and furs, obviously. Uh-huh. And fishing, too. Yeah, yeah. Remember, this is um, where Roger Conant first lands before he comes down to found Salem. Have you seen uh, uh, The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio? I have not seen the whole thing. Have you seen the beginning? A bit of it, yes. Like, like the, is the, that a good depiction of what they were dealing with? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's. I mean, it's set about uh, in the early 1800s, early 1700s. So it's like a century after uh, Massachusetts settled, but yeah. There's also a TV show with um, <laughs> Jason Momoa in it. Yeah. Called Frontier. Yes. Have you yes, seen it? I've, I think I've seen like, I actually, maybe I just want to say a trailer. I know what you're talking about. You should watch it. Yeah. It's pretty entertaining. Yeah. But it's heavily focused on the fur trade. They spend time in Maine, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of time in Canada as Mm -hmm. well. So if you want a good representation of what these people were dealing with at the time, take that and go back even further. Like 50 years. Yeah. 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 So definitely a rough life. He probably lived a very, you know, rugged existence for his first 20 years or so. I mean, we know he's uh, sort of mostly uneducated at, at that age. Which uh, many were. Yeah. But, you know, for someone who goes on to become the first royally appointed governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, like you had no formal, you know, all of his peers, like many, I would say almost all of his peers uh, had been to Harvard, uh-huh. had been highly educated, had been educated from a very young age. Uh, and, and he doesn't receive any formal education till he's... Uh, in probably in his twenties, and even still, I did see that his literary skills were still not ever. He always had scribes and and attendants and things like that. So, which was pretty common yeah, for yeah. for individuals of that status, but mm-hmm. may not have gone through that formal education. Right. He was one of many many children. His mother Mary had at least six children with his father James Phipps. Um, who died when William was just six years old. So She, she did end up marrying her his father's business partner. Uh, so they still had, it wasn't just like... Still had a father figure. Yeah, yeah. But imagine, yeah. you know, losing your dad at that young of age kind of has to, and having to look over all those kids. Obviously, he's helping in the household. And then she had another eight... Kids? Yes, at least eight or so. I read that Cotton Mather, who will later publish a biography about Phipps, mm-hmm. wildly exaggerated the family that he came from. 26? Something along those I lines. I saw that. That's, cr- I mean, Four- 14 is a Wait, lot. I was going to say, we know of 14. That's, that's like. That's so many kids. That, that's a lot. That's so many and in an era where, you know, childbirth is a very dicey situation, yeah. you don't know if you're going to make it out alive. The fact that she conceived and had successfully that many children, it's crazy. Imagine imagine you, you, you've had a kid every year since you were 16. So my dad's the youngest <laughs> of seven. Uh-huh. And he, the family always jokes about how their dad, my grandpa, uh-huh. used to say, there was never a year that my that your mother wasn't pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh. She always had a child on the hip or one in the oven or both. <laughs> Genuinely. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Back, back to back. Crazy. But back in the day, during this time, that was an extremely valuable resource. Not mm-hmm. to call children resources, but in a way they were. Uh, uh, many hands make light work, right? Exactly. Like you, you need... There is a lot to do to get through a day, you know, that there's no Netflix and like make a coffee and, you know, take some me time. Uh, You're always up and working in chickens and tending and farming and rebuilding and, 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 and stalking and skinning and whatever else. So that would have been his childhood. Up until the age of 18, mm-hmm. when William began a four-year apprenticeship as a ship's carpenter after which he moved down to Boston in 1673. So he's 22 years old. I'm sure it was a huge change from being on the main frontier to going to one of the, you know, busiest up-and-coming cities on the New England coast. Yeah, the, the stark contrast must have been. I mean, he'd probably been, right? I mean, there's no, I, we don't know. But if you're a shipwright, you're, he's probably at least been to Boston. I can still only imagine. So it's there that he continues this trade, working on uh, ships, building ships. Um, he marries uh, his wife then? Yep, Mary Spencer Hull, just a year after moving to Boston. And I tell you, I feel so bad for Mary in this story because I feel like he is never around, ever. No, like, he, and we're going to, he travels here, he goes to England, he's in Barbados, he's back in England, uh, and she's just, like, at home. Hanging like, there. Like a lot. Waiting for him to get home after years and years of expeditions. Yeah, and yeah. then he's home for, like, six months, and he goes again. Yeah. Uh, hey, maybe she liked it. Maybe. <laughs> right? It makes you wonder, like, what else was going on. I, I mean, by all accounts, he was very loyal. No idea about her, because, you know, why would history care about what she did? Um, <laughs> That's accurate. But yeah, uh, who knows? Maybe she was hosting tea parties. and I, That's probably... But they didn't have any kids, right? No, they had no kids. That's why I'm like, well, yeah, he was never home. <laughs> well, yeah, but you'd think like when he gets home, right? You're like, I've been away for two years, you know? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey. But. Oh, come here, governor. <laughs> he wasn't. Uh, who knows? Like fertility problems or. Yeah, you never know. Or, hey, may- maybe she was apt to keep the company of, of other people. And it was a good setup. Who maybe, knows? Maybe it worked for them. Yeah. It's, it seemed to work for them. We're just 100% speculating here. <laughs> There's no historical evidence for like the past five minutes of conversation. So. He does return to Maine Mm -hmm. um, right around King Philip's War, which we've talked about before. Obviously, tensions with the indigenous peoples are rising, and King Philip, as he is known, Medicom Mm -hmm. was his indigenous name. He was the son of a chief and rallied several different tribes together to really try to push against the colonization that was happening. Right, because obviously with the the tribal nature of the indigenous people, they were not uh, able 
oftentimes to unify against a force like the, the English crown. But during King Philip's War, the colonies will take a pretty big uh, beating. Yeah. At that point, you almost were guaranteed to know someone who lost someone in the war. If you were an able-bodied man, you You were definitely fighting in it. Uh And it was a gruesome one. I think by all accounts, it is one of the uh, most horrific and and bloody conflicts in uh, the recorded colonial, what's the right word? Colonial era. No, all all of, I don't want to say American history, because... I say the Civil War would probably take that cake. Uh, gruesome, like, like the, like per capita, the yeah, amount of people that are yeah, lost. Yeah, yeah, and it was when you say gruesome, like it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like like horrific, bloody, gruesome, like the inhumane. Yes, uh, inhumane's a perfect word yeah. to describe it. If you are interested in learning more about King Philip's War, one of my favorite books on the topic is *The Name of War* by Jill Lepore. Highly yeah. regarded, and it talks specifically about how the, you know, you've got two different cultures here, mm-hmm. and traditionally the indigenous told their stories through oral history. That was like their main form of passing down these stories. But the English, very set, especially like Puritanism, they're very, they're good at record keeping. They want to write down their history. So she kind of tackles this idea that the war is remembered through words Uh more so than the telling of the indigenous and how the colonists tried to downplay their brutality through storytelling after the fact. It's a fascinating study. So check that one out. I'll link it in the show notes. Excellent. So he's up there uh, up in Maine when King Philip's war breaks out. He's got a small shipbuilding company. Uh, So he's gone from Shepherd. Yeah. We we didn't mention that. He's, you know, he's working on the farm. Yeah. So family farm. Yeah. To uh, apprenticeship, right. To owning a shipyard up in Maine in four years, eight, six years. Definitely a driven individual, Uh but there will be a, uh, an incident during King Philip's war where, their village is attacked and he I feel like he has a lot of instances of like heroism throughout his life it is very like tall tale-ish yeah and supposedly he had his ship ready to go with it was like his first largest merchant ship and he had it ready to go with stuff to likely bring down to Boston or maybe the West Indies but as the the village is being attacked he brought on board not his cargo but the people but the people as many colonists as he could fit on that ship to escape the travesty that was unfolding so as you mentioned aquarius heroic oh there we go there we go but he does uh help that and, and he brings those colonists down down to boston as sort of uh, regarded as a bit of a hero in in that context and then he finds his way into another sort of venture <sighs> treasure hunting which I saw was a, quote, colonial pastime. Right? Which is hilarious. Oh, what are you doing for the summer? Ah, going down to the West Indies, going to find me some sunken treasure. But it makes sense, right? Like, you know, a lot of, so 
take the Spanish, for example, and a lot of these ships they're going after are Spanish ships. You know, we talk about colonization down in Central America, South America. They're going there for natural resources, especially precious metals like gold and silver. I mean, Spanish gold, we all know. Pirates of the Caribbean. Yep. You know, uh, I, I can't remember. Have I talked about wrecking? Like, I think, like, I might have been a little bit in, in the uh, Pirates and, and Black Gold. Maybe. Um, are you familiar with Wrecking? Oh, I think you did mention this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I don't know what the Wrecking scenarios in in there was. I know I am familiar with it from Living Key West. Um, uh, ships would get wrecked along the reef a lot. And so when you see that once the, the car goes in the water, it's free game. So they would have, like, towers, like, along the, the shoreline watching for for ships to get wrecked and then go out and salvage all of that treasure because now it's free game yeah it's a different world yeah also there were some places that would misdirect ships into the reefs to purposely wreck yeah. them i am not surprised yeah. one bit so it is a common occurrence and you got to think the time period like yes they have been building <laughs> ships for thousands of years at this point but there is no guarantee they don't have the modern technology that we have today so shipwrecks with a lot of money and gold on them was somewhat common also the uh the nature of the weather and the seas and the oceans in that geographical area provides for like a lot of storms uh so like whole beach fronts will get washed away or come back or uh, a hurricane can come in and just like move a ship a hundred miles off course and then it's gone. And so now you have like a Spanish galleon that's just missing and you're like, but it's got to be somewhere. And that's what he's after going down there and seeking out some fabled quote unquote fabled uh-huh. sunken ships that have yet to be recovered. So it's relatively interesting. What ends up happening is, uh, so about 10 years later, uh, 1683, he finds his way to, England and and I'm not sure how this happened I tried to sort of figure it out and I there's no one really knows he gains a meeting uh with a gentleman by the name of Narborough and he is going to be effectively secretary of the navy uh to King Charles Narborough or Phipps Narborough okay so somehow shipwright Phipps from Massachusetts ends up befriending and uh, uh, gaining an audience with the Secretary of the Navy and the King of England. We're not sure how that happens. Um, Charisma, luck, luck, right right place, right time. Right, he could have literally just bumped into him in the dock and been like, like, who knows, Narborough might have been like walking down, oh, hi, hi, you know, and they strike up a conversation and and they get along. Uh, We don't know. But what we do know is they do... um, I wouldn't say they're friends. Narborough's like a, you know, high lord or, or whatever. But he does take an interest in Phipps, and Phipps sort of convinces him uh, to sort of support, if not mildly fund, a treasure hunting expedition to the Bahamas. And so Narborough sort of is like, yeah, sure, we'll give it a shot. Like, I'm sure he's got, like, extra money, you know? So it's not like a fully funded trip. It's like a, okay, you've got my backing and support, um, so he'll like give him like the letters and the permissions and stuff, but Phipps still has to sort of raise some of his own capital, uh, but they do. And they 
make an expedition down to the Bahamas, and they're like, meh, successful. Like, they they find some treasure. They make their money back. Yeah. But not much more. Pretty much. So he comes back, and Arboro's like, well, okay. Like, I saw a return on my investment. We'll, we'll continue this relationship. Uh, no big deal. Although it was a little reckless, that initial plan, uh, because Phipps wasn't like a commander in the Navy or like a, again, he's like a shipwright from Boston. And Narborough's like, yeah, here's a 20-gun frigate, Captain. <laughs> Go have fun. You're like, what do you... <sighs> he's got to have like some charisma, right? Something. Something. And they probably valued him for his shipbuilding skills. I guess maybe... That could have been part of the deal, right? Yeah, if you know the vessel. Yeah, yeah. And also maybe it, you know, it's like, hey, we can work a deal. And maybe Narborough's like, I can get better ships or better uh, wood from Maine if I know a guy. Who knows? We don't know. It's all speculation. But nonetheless, they have that relationship and, and that goes well. And when he returns to England with a successful trip under his belt, he does garner more investors in his expeditions. Yeah. So it's at this point that he's sort of a fully-fledged treasure hunter. Yeah, making a name for himself. Yeah, yeah. Rubbing shoulders, elbows with the, you know, some of the top guys. The, the landed gentry. Yes. They see him as a, they see him as an investment. Mm-hmm. So now we get to 1686, his third expedition. And this is the one that is successful exceedingly successful (laughs) i don't even know how to describe it Uh, yeah he uh i want to say he struck gold but rather silver yeah a ship that had supposedly sunk back in 1641 known as the almiranta just off the eastern coast of the dominican republic or as it is known now the uh, island of hispaniola as it was then and he'll spend Several months in 1687, dredging up this treasure. Sort of in secret. Well, I mean, yeah, you got to keep everything in secret because yeah, then other yeah. people will come in and start digging it up as well. So I guess like one of his guys, he sends people out to like search like different coves and, and beaches and they find it and like report back to him and he's like, shit. Like yeah, got to be discreet. Yeah, so like in secret over the course of several months, he's like sending like, I'm guessing like small boats and small parties, and they're just bringing it back in like small bundles. I think they, no, uh, I think they. Does he go out with his whole ship? Yeah. Okay. Once, okay. once they catch word that this is this is it, I think they all they went full in, and like I said, spent several months pulling up treasure, thirty four tons to be exact. Worth two hundred and five over two hundred and five thousand pounds back then, which equates roughly to fifty six million seven hundred and ninety five thousand dollars in today's money. No big deal. Fifty so almost fifty seven million dollars worth of treasure. It's pretty wild. It's a lot. And they all got shares of that. They did, but like Yeah. When you look at the fractions of right, but yeah. I mean, like, so so it had been invested in by the so so 
he's now gained a reputation, so he now has significant backers. So he has to pay back the backers and the crown. Cause, and they'll get a lot. They'll get a large portion yeah, of that. Yeah. Um, but I guess there was also, like, talks of mutiny and stuff, which, I mean, and but, he's like, don't worry, guys, you'll all get your cut. They all probably got, like, a couple hundred thousand dollars in today's economy worth. But, like... 57 million? If I'm staring down the barrel of, like... 200k or 10 mil like what are you gonna do right i mean like, it's the crown like the royal navy is gonna like they're gonna send like the whole royal navy after you and so that's probably a little intimidating but the fact that he was able to keep it together yeah and actually return it all yeah to england is impressive and he was rewarded handsomely for that with a knighthood that's a big deal I think he was the first yes. New England New Englander knighted mm-hmm. under the crown. So he is now Sir William Phipps. And that's 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 a thing. Yeah, he was welcomed back to London as a hero. Yeah. He also gets um a political posting as well. He gets appointed as the Provost Marshal General, which is like chief sheriff. Uh, for the Dominion of New England. So he's coming back home. Yeah, but he, he doesn't. He doesn't come back for like a year and a half. Well, he eventually gets there. Yeah. <laughs> he eventually gets back to his wife in Boston in the summer of 1688 with this new reputation as a successful treasure hunter and this new political posting. And a knight. He's Sir William Phipps. So that makes her Lady Phipps. Oh, so cool. I want to be a lady. <laughs> Gotta gotta marry into that. F- find a, a a knight or a lord. Goals. Yeah. <laughs> Let's probably go over to England. There's New plenty goals of them. unlocked. Right. <laughs> he doesn't return right away to to New England because he actually goes back to the wreck. Uh, the next year, um, it had been uh, picked over. After that, uh, they recover like another ten thousand pounds worth of stuff. Um, so. Still good money. Yeah, still good money. But blows my mind thinking about treasure salvaging back then. Like, they don't have any modern diving equipment. Like, can you imagine pulling up treasure? No. In the 1600s? No. Crazy. Uh, Because you've dove. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, I'm trying to put it. It's hard. Right? So... How do you even open your eyes underwater? So, like well, salt water. So that's normal. Like the opening of the eyes and, and, and the holding the breath. Um, again, these people are relatively probably accustomed to that. Right. They're fishermen. They're, they're seamen. They're sailors. It's also the Caribbean. The water's clear and warm. So that's fine. And shallow. It's on a reef. Okay. The reef's dangerous. That's going to hurt. Um, but it's the weight of the stuff that is going to get exceedingly difficult. And I can only imagine these men must have been, you know, in incredibly good physical condition. They're hardworking, they're sailors, they're on the boat. But still, just the the weight of silver and gold, pounds of it, it was, it was probably in bricks. Um, and you've never, have you ever, hold on. Are you going to ask me if I've ever held a gold bar? Because no, I have not. Yeah, or seen silver, hold on. So Mel Fisher is a, a treasure hunter, and he finds uh, silver and gold from a lost ship off the coast of Key West. And they have a lot of it just, uh, what's the ship? The Atosha. When is this? 
when does Mel Fisher find it? Yeah. Like in the 80s. Cool. Yeah. And yeah, so they, they probably got like big rigs and things yeah. to like send down there. Yeah. But they have a lot of it on display just in a museum in Key West. And you can lift one of the gold bars. It's fucking heavy. Um, but the silver bricks are huge. And are they even heavier? You can't or lift them. Because they're that heavy? Well, they're, they're all like behind like a uh, glass thing. But like. Treasure's cool. Yeah. It's so but cool. Like, look how big. Like it's a, it's like the size yeah, of like two. it's huge. Yeah. That's heavy. And then you're, you have to like either one at a time or two at a time and swim up. Yeah. Yeah. So neat. Yeah. They do have, um, there is an etching of him pulling up with his crew, pulling mm-hmm. up treasure. I'll, uh, I'll include that on the Instagram and try to link it in the show notes. Uh, but it's kind of cool trying to see like how exactly they did this back in the 17th century. You know, it'd probably be easier. What? If you bring a net down. Well, yeah, I'm assuming that they would lower some, like they're lowering. Like a weighted net and you go down. And, and then you, hold you pull your breath, it up. Yeah. You hold your breath for a minute and you move yeah. like four bars and then you go back up, take a breath, go back down, move more bars onto the net. Yeah. They're not bringing them up like one by one. Hey. Because then you got to get onto the ship too. So they've got like that rig. Yeah. 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 Like a pulley, Still, pulley system. That's a lot. Like a little elevator. Yeah. Crazy. Oof. Anyway. And, and very prosperous <laughs> for him. Yeah. But yes, he does return to Boston after being away for, gosh, nearly five years. And much like in London, he is celebrated in the city. He's got his knighthood. He's got his new political position. And he's got this really banging reputation. Uh-huh. Then he gets baptized. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Sure. I mean, now that he's got the status, you might want to correlate that with your religious status. Right, I guess. Um, Also, I think what I sort of feel from that is he gets to Boston and realizes that to be sort of one of the cool kids. You got to establish some of that cred. Yeah, like religion is where it's at in Boston. Yep. So he's like, if he wants to hang out with all the elites in Boston... He gets baptized. I think by or in. I'm not sure. Cotton Mather. Oh, I doubt Cotton baptized him. I think it was in his church. So okay. I, it was... I, I feel like he'd be more likely to be baptized by increase. Cotton's a little younger than him. But he does make friends with increase. He he becomes very good friends with increase yeah. Mather. And that's that's where it all it all starts. Well, I mean, I guess it starts wherever, but yeah. <laughs> starts wherever you want it to, Jeffrey. Yeah, yeah. So he comes back to Boston at a very interesting time in the colony's trajectory. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about the Dominion of New England? I mean, sure. I don't think we should just start. So... <clears throat> I was going to say, we might have to pop over to England first to explain it. I mean, we might have to pop back here to, and then back there. Okay. There's so much going on, and it's all connected. <laughs> right. So, I think there's a few things that, like, need to be sort of understood. One is that uh, in the 1600s, England is not, like, a stable geopolitical landscape. There is a lot of stuff that's going on over there, 
which affects everything that's going on over here in the colonies. Like how back, how far are we from Henry VIII? And a while, like a hundred and fifty years, hundred years. I can't remember. Okay, so hundred years. Yeah, about a hundred years. And remember, that's kind of where we get that huge religious political shift yeah. because he breaks from the Catholic Church and the Pope and decides to establish the Church of England. Which some, which I used to be like, where can you say that with the Salem which Charles started? I used to blame Henry VIII. Um, you could go all the way back. <laughs> I mean, I think they would have happened anyways, but... But it's because of the, the, the... I mean, then you could go and blame Calvin for the Protestant Reformation and all that. But anyway... Yeah. So we have King James. We all know about King James. Uh, he writes demonology, and he's king when, the, when they first settle here. Uh, his successor, Charles I, is the one who issues the first charter to the Massachusetts Bay Colony. This is also where we get the King James's Bible. King James Bible, which yep. is also responsible for a lot of... Thou shall not suffer a witch to live. Which I don't think was in the translation before that. No idea how that happened. Just saying. Just saying. Thanks, uh, James. Yeah. He was also gay. But anyway, <laughs> there's that whole thing. King James is like a fascinating person. He's wildly entertaining. He's probably one of my like most favorite historical figures. He's crazy. But King Charles doesn't last. He uh he loses the crown, like literally. Um with the English Civil War and Oliver Cromwell takes over. And so now there's no more crown, what they call it, the Commonwealth of England. And that goes till 1660. All right, just to clarify the timeline there, you've got, so Charles I, who you just mentioned. Uh-huh. And then... Oliver Cromwell. Gotcha. So now there's no crown. They have abolished the, the, the monarchy in England effectively. And again... Massachusetts and the colonies are still all existing at this point in time. So everything that's being affected in England, you know, we're like a little colony being like, hey, guys. And they're like, yeah, sorry, civil war. Like, we don't really care about you right now. Just figure it out. And we kind of do. And we sort of, over the course of these decades, sort of start to, to that original charter. We kind of break away from it a little bit and sort of start breaking some of the rules. And you start forming your own identity i mean we're talking generations of people raising their families establishing settlements Mm -hmm. we talked about being on the frontier imagine how they felt being kind of left high and dry by the quote-unquote motherland just to fend for themselves right and and it becomes more and more of a problem uh and then uh, after cromwell charles ii becomes king and he's got some issues. There's a whole plague in England. There's the fire, Great Fire of London, 1666. And so, again, we're like this colony being like, hey, guys. And they're like, sorry, London just burned down? Deal with it. And we continue to push away. So in 1684, our charter is revoked. The crown in England is like, yeah, you guys, we're done. We're revoking your charter. But that doesn't stop anyone living here or trading here or doing business here uh, or, or the establishment of the Puritan mindset here. So now with like pretty much all royal backing gone, we turn much more towards the Puritan ideologies. And that's where we tend to get off the rails even more. 
And so again, this is only eight years before the Salem witch trials. So again, a lot of political instability. Mm -hmm. It heavily contributes to these trials. I don't think if this was happening, we would have seen as much of an outbreak as we did. No, not, not nearly. Now, to sort of put this, so imagine today, like every five, ten years, your government and rule of law just totally shifts and change. Taxes, rep- I mean, there's no representation. I was going to say, you have no say in it you either. You have no say in it. Just all of a sudden, you're different imports, different taxes. People's property are totally taken away. At one point, after the, the charter is taken away and Governor Andros is takes control in the Dominion of New England, tries to force everyone to rebuy all of their property. Imagine all of a sudden that they're like, yeah, everyone who owns a house, all your million, 10 million, no, everyone has to rebuy all their property. So you can understand why (laughs) there is a little bit of uh, resentment brewing. Turmoil. Yeah. Um, So the Dominion isn't well liked. Fine. We don't have a charter. That's a a problem. And, And the charter is a problem mostly for governmental resources uh, as well as uh, for military support because we got the French breathing down our necks in the north and trade and import uh, to the, the Indies and to England and whatnot. So a couple people are like, let's go to England and try to sort this thing out. And those two people are? Increase Mather and? Sir William Phipps. The knighted son of New England. Both of them were not a huge fan of Governor Andros, Mm -hmm. who was presiding over the colonies at this point. And they were hoping that if they go and, you know, kind of reason with the king, maybe they can get him to revoke the status of the governor Mm -hmm. and reformulate this charter. Yeah. Also during this time, we see the Glorious Revolution, as it is called, where the Catholic King James, one of your favorites, is replaced with his Protestant daughter, Mary II, and her husband, King William III. And people always ask me, like, who's the queen during this time, during the Salem Witch Trials? Queen Mary. Queen Mary. So this is William and Mary, just like the college. It's like the easiest way to point to it. Yeah. I'm always like, William and Mary. I'm like, you've probably heard that. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah I've heard yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually looked in going there. They got oh. a great history program, Very cool. as you can imagine. I'm sure. So as a result of this revolution, they now have the ability, and by they I mean Increase and mm-hmm. Governor Phipps, um, to kind of negotiate with the new monarchs, and they get them to name Phipps as governor. Yeah, so they're over there in 1691, and they, they get a new charter. And so this is actually the first royal charter. Like like the other ones prior to would have been more like uh, commercial. Commercial charter. Yeah. Right. So Massachusetts had been a commercial property before that, effectively. Like an investment, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we know it, like the, the East India Trading Company and sort of all those sort of chartered investment companies. So that sort of what Massachusetts originally is. Uh, And now they have a royal charter. The laws and rules all outlined, all outlined in the charter are a little more English common law than what had been happening here, which is very Puritan ideology, but it's the financial, economic and military backing that that they're really after. So, So they make some concessions. This gets awarded uh, in November. So Phipps and Mather are in 
England in November 1691. And that means we are just on the heels of some uh, afflictions. Which by they some have no idea girls. about. No, of course not. They they haven't been in New England in like probably about a year. So they are getting word. They know what's going on. But sixteen there's nothing going on. No, a couple young girls acting weird. But in, they, they don't it's, even know. In November? Yeah. No, but like remember the the symptoms start kind of coming about in I'd say December or so. Yeah, but they're not going to No, they wouldn't know because of time like you can't takes, call up on a cell phone. Yeah, it takes 2 months to cross the Atlantic. So even in November, the last news they're going to hear is anything happening in September. And they don't leave till early uh or mid January. So December, the last news they're going to get of New England before they make the crossing is probably about November time frame. No, that's, that's, that's not right. It takes two months. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm confusing myself. So, September. Yeah, yeah. So that if someone left Massachusetts in September, gets to England in November, passes word to increase in, and, and um, FIPS about what's going, hey, here's a quick update. They're like, cool, everything's fine, stable, normal. Let's head home. Charter in hand, on the boat, Cross the Atlantic Ocean. While everything starts boiling. <sighs> so Governor Phipps is now Governor Phipps. Royal Governor, appointed by the King of England. Increase Mather helped get that appointment, so he's all like, I got my guy. Yep. They both returned to Boston on May 14th, 1692. So let's drop May 14th into Salem history here. Uh, we've already had the afflicted girls, yep. um, Betty and Abigail Paris in the Paris household, mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. hallucinations, the crazy behavior that has spread to multiple girls. Witch in, cakes, Tichuba, Good, yep, Osborne. Has already spread to multiple girls in the community. Remember, March 1st is our first line of questioning where Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tichaba are arrested and questioned in Salem Village Meeting House. But again, they are in this weird limbo, this political limbo where they really can't do anything. Right. I mean, they could, but not so, really. So the guy in charge is uh, Governor Bradstreet, who was actually buried at uh, Charter Street. He is, <laughs> he is 89 years old. Uh, at this point, uh, he's had uh, a good amount of uh, uh, history in his career. He's been the lieutenant governor, governor before, things like that. Uh, he's generally well liked. But again, over the past 30, 40 years, everything's just been in a constant state of. And now there is no rule of there is no char- charter, except for the fact that they know that there is a charter. They know it's coming, and yeah. I think that's part of why he kind of puts his hands up and doesn't want to get him dirty, because yeah. he knows that there is an, an appointed governor coming from England with a new charter. Things will be more concrete at that point. The court system will be set up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to con- I like to compare the charter, because it's a weird word that we yeah. don't really use anymore when it comes to you know the states or the u.s it's like a mini constitution yes it has all the rules and regulations for the colonies how to govern who's going to be in charge what the land taxes imports all those things is all outlined educational schools resources it's all pretty much outlined in the charter i would like to think if governor bradstreet did hold on to that position 
maybe things would have turned out differently. I think if if we bump Phipps's trip six months in either direction. Oh my gosh. I think everything would have been it. So if they were still negotiating the charter in England, I think Bradstreet would have done something about it. And I think if Phipps had already been here, he would have done something about it. Um, but it's because Bradstreet's in charge and he knows Phipps is en route that he does nothing. So we have a problem that's getting worse and worse not even by the hour, not by the day. Like, And that instability has been weighing on these people's minds for decades, decades at this point, Yeah, especially in those last few years leading up to 1692. Right? You've lost your charter, King Philip's war, uh, dominion of new England. It's just more and more and more. So by the time Phipps gets here, there's, Dozens of people in jail. Like at least 60. Yeah. At least. Uh, accusations afflicted. And he gets off the boat May 14th. And I always say on my tour that we, we don't have a record of this, but someone had to tell him. What was going on. Right. <laughs> well, at that point, remember, the jails are almost overflowing. Yeah. Jails back then were not meant for long-term stays. Like, you get in, you get your trial, and you get your punishment. A couple weeks, maybe. At the most. Yeah. But now, they have nowhere to put these people. They have no court system to go through. And they're just being shoved into jails in Boston, Salem, Ipswich. It's overflowing. Mm -hmm. And just imagine showing up for your first day on the job. You're this new... You know, knighted governor. Right, Sir Willie. And he spent the past, like, two months across the Atlantic, like, man, I'm the royal governor of Massachusetts. Like, yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. Promotion. Right? Like, it's it's May. It's springtime in, in, in New England. Like, this is, I, I got a mansion. Got to see, go see Lady Phipps. Like, heck yeah. Oh, my gosh. I wonder what she was thinking this whole time. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. Uh, my husband's coming. He's the governor. And he, she must have been worried sick. Yeah. Yeah. But someone had to tell him. I just, I love that. I love making up that conversation. So, uh, there's this situation we Sir, have. Sir, can I, can I just get like five minutes of your time real quick? Uh, we're not really sure how to proceed here. Yeah, uh, no big deal. Just thought you should know. Uh, there, we got a couple of witches hanging out. Yeah. Like, like six, six 60 or ish, so ish, give may, or take. Maybe <laughs> can, we, we've lost count. I, we don't, God, can you? <laughs> And, like, just to put that in the context, this has literally never happened before. That's one thing I try to stress on my tours. Like, when he shows up, horrible situation. But, like, oh, my God, this has never happened before to this degree. Yes, we have our outbreak down in Hartford, Connecticut, mm -hmm. I think in the 1650s. There's um, the, the incident in Boston as well. Yeah, but, like, that's one or two people. Yeah. Nothing like, like this. There's has... the occasional witch. And yeah. they get tried, they get hanged. Cool. Take back that cool. Find a different word. It happens. <laughs> it happens. Right? I'm saying, like, it's, it's yeah. a thing. It's not, like, this is It's the minimal. Yeah. But it's it's the occasional criminal act. Fine. This is an outbreak. I, I, and I, I would go so far as to say it's never happened, not in history, but, like... Even like the witch trials in Europe, no one probably walked into a scenario like that. 
because it was all, we have 10 here, 15, five. It was all sort of burning and happening at the same time, right? Everything was was going on. Where in which he has no knowledge of the scenario and walks in. I just imagine he probably, he heard it and he's like, nah, I'm going to go back to treasure hunting. This is <laughs> not my like, thing. So, uh, <laughs> I just shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, man, Hispaniola is real nice. The rum down there is. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, Mary. I'm going to yeah, get out of here. Yeah. But he does, he does actually do something. So he is the one in charge. He does have the authority. He does have the power. And it is because of his return that we do start to get trials. But the problem here, and I don't think, I don't think there was any resolution. I think that it plays out not just only the only way possible, definitely not in the best way possible, but I don't see another scenario the backlog of prisoners, the fear that had just been brewing. Because remember, we might have 60 accused witches in jail, but we have not found anyone guilty of witchcraft. So that means that those original nine that Titch Booklet, they could all still be out there. And there could be more. And people are pointing fingers left and right. Yeah, so the pressure is just building and building and building, and there is no way to release it. And it's not just Salem. It's spreading to all the neighboring communities. I think 23 or so is the total number of communities that this touches eventually. That sounds right. But he gets off the boat on May 14th, May 27th. So two weeks, he establishes the court of Oyer and Terminer. To hear and determine. And within two weeks after that, we have our first uh, guilty and execution. So within a month of his return, he has started that process. He's also the one that's in charge of appointing those yes. justices. But as someone who's been in and out of Boston and is new to the position, I would guess he leaned heavily on his, Increase Mather. His friend, yeah. Yep. To appoint these individuals, all Harvard graduate folks, you know, powerful men, wealthy merchants, and William Stoughton as chief justice and i think out of all the big bads in this story he is the worst the worst by far so stoughton had also been appointed as the lieutenant governor so did he know that i have no idea if he knew that probably maybe like 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 before like did he know in march that he was going to be lieutenant governor i don't know definitely gives like power hungry vibes yeah, Stoughton although does. I had also read that uh, there was really no, there's nothing in his history to predicate the behaviors that he showed during the witch trials. Like in- he, he, interesting, you know, like you have some people who have like a, a history or a record of mistreatment. Yeah, like some sheriff or something, you know, <coughs> Corwin. <laughs> what? Right, but Stoughton seemed by all accounts, reasonable. And then all of a sudden, he gets appointed lieutenant governor, he gets appointed chief justice, and he he goes, he's out for blood. Literally. And it is on June 10th that we see the first execution of Bridget Bishop. Yeah. So May 14th, he gets back. June 10th, first execution. So like I said, 
And I really think that, you know, once that first execution was made, it's like they're all in, right? Like you've you've crossed the yeah. line. Yeah. And it's all forward from there. And that, that's within like the courts formed, brought to trial, found guilty. And that is, and, and you'd mentioned that normally these cases happen quickly. Uh-huh. That was quicker than quickly. But again, it's all stewing, right? Yeah. They're all sitting in jail waiting for this trial. This fear has just been fermenting and the you, you pressure cooker, you, you pop that cork and... And unfortunately, like, think about it. You can't just send them all home. No. <laughs> you can't just look at them and say, oh, shoot, we kind of messed up. Sorry, guys. I mean, they kind of do. It was eventually, yeah. but like... It almost seems inevitable at this point that when this guy, the new governor, shows up, there's so many people that are waiting. The tensions have been brewing. The pressure is high. Yeah. What else do you do? Do you say, oh, no, this isn't real? He can't. People don't like to admit that they're wrong. Yeah. And again, remember, we're living in a world where superstition and politics and religion and science is all meshed in together mm-hmm. in this weird They believe way. in the invisible world. They believe in demons and magics. Because, of course, King James, demonology, here we go, bring it all back. Uh, so, uh, Stoughton, as lieutenant governor, is appointed as the head of the court. And this means that Phipps is not really involved. No, I, I think he just kind of puts his hands up at that point and says, Okay, I appointed my people. Take care of it. Which I think some people shit on him for a little bit. I uh, do. A little bit. But I also think it's it's the right thing to do. Like in today's world, I uh, you know, Massachusetts Commonwealth, we have, we just uh, elected a governor and lieutenant governor. Uh, they appoint a district attorney. And if this was going on now, the district attorney would be the one who is directly prosecuting those cases. The governor would probably take a very passive role in the direct involvement of that. Um, unless something very serious or or inflammatory came about, they're not going to be the face of that. It's going to be the district attorney. There's only a few times that he's directly involved in the trials. One in particular uh, for Rebecca Nurse. Yeah. So we did talk about in the Rebecca Nurse episode how, and, and this is going on for a lot of victims of the uh-huh. trials, people are coming forth and signing their names on petitions, speaking out against the accusations and in favor of the accused. Yeah. And Rebecca Nurse being one of the most prominent members of Salem society. Remember, she, she's a fully coveted member of the church. She's like, she's a saint. She's going to heaven. Yes. And the fact that she would even be thought as a witch is ungodly to say the least inconceivable i love that (laughs) word oh i love the princess bride but yes and they will send that petition with i believe it was 39 signatures down to boston to governor phipps petitioning for him to revoke her guilty verdict and he does and he does good job dude yeah He's like, okay, I can see the argument here. It's well laid out. But then the court with Stoughton's like... The governor's mm, council. Sorry, bro. We still think she's a witch. And they convince him to mm-hmm. revoke the revoking. That's not real. Revoke the revocation? There we go. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you. It's like a double negative. <laughs> but it makes sense. 
And it's about a week and a half after that that Phipps bounces. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to go hang out in Maine for a bit. Like, fair, fine. He, this is the ma- So Maine is part of his jurisdiction. He's not like, you know, going up to Kenny Bunkport and like, you know, having a, 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 a lobster. At the house. Right, yeah. <laughs> Were you going to uh, say a lobster roll? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh it is it is still that frontier territory there is still the uh very threatening conflict with the french um there are military installations and actions that he takes up there so it's he's not just bouncing on vacation it it, it is a uh yeah he's like negotiating peace treaties and whatnot yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's up there for about 2 months gets back here september 29th at that point we have seen all of the executions mm-hmm. Uh, 19 plus, of course, Giles Corey's pressing, and he suspends the court of Oyer and Terminer. His wife had also been accused. Yeah, I think that definitely played a role in it. I'd, I'd say so. Uh, yeah, Lady Mary Phipps accused of the crime of witchcraft. So imagine coming back and you're like, oh, wow, they just killed another eight people and my wife's been accused? Uh, yeah, I should probably step in yeah. and do something. <laughs> Which he does, yes. thankfully. He makes a, an executive decision mm-hmm. to limit the court of Orion Terminer, kind of put it on hold. They then establish what probably should have been done in the first place, the superior court. Um, so each county, just like we have today, has its own superior court. Uh-huh. So we are located in Essex County. They have theirs, and it'll be those lower courts, or I guess I should say higher because they are higher than the yeah, yeah. court of Oyer and Terminer, um, that will start taking up these witchcraft cases. Shockingly enough, uh, Stoughton is appointed as the head of that court as well. Yeah, you would think at that point that uh, Governor Phipps was like, hmm, this guy's a little hot-headed. Yeah, Maybe we should pump the brakes a bit. Uh, while we execute 8 on September 22nd, uh, those eight were selected from... I believe it's 25. So 25 had been found guilty. And are waiting for their execution. Yeah, and they just selected those eight. So uh, Phipps also comes in and, and grants them a stay of execution. Uh, and Stoughton doesn't like that. He is, like, foaming at the mouth, by all accounts, on, on, on that measure. Yeah, I believe he storms out of the courtroom. Yeah. When, because uh, of course Phipps doesn't show up there in person, but he sends like a messenger with that stay of execution, yeah. and he Stone throat- pissed, very pissed. He's like, "They're witches. We're gonna kill them, et cetera, et cetera." What was this guy's problem? He was all I don't know. I mean, fear, religious ideology. Maybe he was truly convinced. He was on a power trip. A little bit of both. Again, when you when you cross the line, how do you go back? You either have to admit that you killed innocent people mm-hmm. or you're in the right. Yeah. Or you learn that maybe the devil was using innocent people as his victims to have you kill them and then you can wash your hands the entire thing. It's all the devil's fault. Yep. Which is kind of what happens. Anyway, uh, another thing that, that, that Phipps does is he uh, sort of makes all spectral evidence illegal. Yeah, so as these cases are being tried in the new superior courts... Yeah, because it's not like... So everyone who's been accused is in jail. They still bring them all to trial, just in a different court system. 
which means they're also still sitting in jail as yeah. well. Just because the court of Oyer and Terminer goes away doesn't mean that this is over. So in January of 1693, they try 21 people. They find three of them guilty. Of course, this is, you know, think back to the actual trials. Everyone's being found guilty. Mm-hmm. Now it's kind of being toned down a bit. So three of the 21 are found guilty. These three, along with five others from proceedings previous, uh, are scheduled to hang. So this is January 1693. And again, late January, we see another several witchcraft cases come uh, to trial, but Phipps issues a stay of execution for any of them found guilty. Uh-huh. And the last cases we see, thankfully, are in April and May. So April 25th, 1693, and May 10th. Uh, we've got courts going on down in Boston, as well as up in Ipswich. No one is found guilty on that May 10th date, and that is effectively the end of the Salem Witch Trials. So you could say from, it's pretty much a straight year there, almost to the day of the official quote-unquote court proceedings. Uh, He takes a couple other actions uh, after that. Um, Most of, uh, I'd say the, the most important of which is sort of the disallowment. Is that the right word? of uh, uh, publications related to the trials. Basically, you cannot publish anything about these Salem witch trials Yeah, for fear of the reputation, uh, degrading the reputation of their authority. It would just make them look bad. I, Rightfully so. I, yeah. But also, I, I think that maybe he knew that people could spread the wrong information as well. Right, like if you started, like trying to target more people or promote the idea that there's more witches here, that that people were still that the outbreak would continue. Yeah, interesting. I would like to think that everyone kind of looked back on this and said, "Wow, we kind of screwed up." I, th- I think it took a little while, um, especially he he also uh, he gets a letter from the queen, uh, who's also like, "Yeah, you guys f-ed up." Yeah, you need to calm down. <laughs> Jeffrey, I'm going to have to bleep you again. It's all right. It's okay. You guys screwed up. Uh, so so the, the crown is now like, yeah, Salem, you, you done wrong. That uh, comes in the summer of 1693. And he takes this as like, a, oh, okay, so I, I did a good job at stopping this. Yeah, this was yeah. the right decision. It, it took him long enough, <sighs> but it's good to see that once he does put his foot down and – Obviously, his wife getting accused probably played a pretty big role in that. Unfortunately, all too happens, it takes it to hit home for someone to to care about other people. Right. But, yeah, one, it, he doesn't back down from that. He he stops the court of Orion Terminer, and no one else is, is hanged. Yeah, that's kind of like the end. Yeah, there's 20 or 30 more people. You still have to go through the process and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. The last executions we see are in September of 92. We'll get a couple trials to follow throughout the following months. And the last witchcraft trials, uh, when it comes to this outbreak, are in 1693. I believe we have some accusations that come in like the early 1700s, but this is like the last execution in the colonies for witchcraft. 
So what happens to Phipps after these trials? He dies. Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes, everyone dies. Uh, um, he, he actually finds himself in a little bit of a pickle. And yeah. I, think, I think some of this comes from his poor relationship with Stoughton. So he is charged by the Crown with some crimes. So this Sir William Phipps, treasure hunter, successful treasure hunter, first royally appointed governor, finds himself in a predicament. And he is his presence is requested in London yeah, so to, it was, an, uh... to answer on the charges of conspiracy to withhold customs money. So like not paying your taxes, right? So it's basically a, a conflict he's having with a with a shipping company, um, import export taxes, and uh, then I believe that company is tied to Stoughton, right? Stoughton's like um, overseen. Yeah, yeah. Some aspect of this, his political role in Massachusetts is uh, still pretty steadfast, even though, you know, obviously he's so it kind of makes sense, right? Kind Fips of a hot pisses head. off Stoughton. And then Stoughton's company or company he's has, you know, uh, holdings in brings accusations against Phipps uh, for, for, for tax evasion and whatnot. So but he makes the trek back to London once again. He's done this several times, half a dozen times at this point. Uh, gets there in January 1695 and is promptly arrested on these trumped up charges. Crazy. I, I was kind of like stunned by that. Like, the governor of the colony is being arrested. Like he's a, a he's, knighted governor. He, he's a knighted governor appointed. Like at least, like, like hear him out, right? Like give him a like. You could escort him to the. I kind of feel bad for him now. <laughs> and then, unfortunately, he catches a fever or some such and dies within a month. Yeah, February or so. February 18th, 1695, at the young age of 44 years old. Again, karma, in my opinion. (laughs) He could have done better. Although, he got thrown into, as you said earlier, a shit show. So, I think he probably did the best that he could with what he had. I mean, given his complete and utter lack of uh, experience... And also being surrounded by all these men, all these you know, Puritan. Prominent, I- educated I- mouthpieces. Ideological, yeah, religious extremists. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's a tough one. Stoughton's the bad guy for sure. Phipps I- was, I mean, he could have made better decisions, but he Hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, yeah. what the f- what would any of us do in that situation, you know? I, I just, I don't even know. He's my age. Like. That's weird. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah. He was your age when he uh-huh. basically took over. Yeah. <sighs> what are you doing with your life? Just kidding. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> you're doing great things with your life. Thanks. And thankfully you're not condemning anyone to death. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. Him and his wife, as we mentioned, never had any children. They did adopt mm-hmm. his wife's nephew. His name was Spencer Bennett. Um, and he assumed the Phipps name in 1716. And he would go on to serve as lieutenant governor. So 
following in his step step stepfather is that the right adopted father uh-huh. um, his footsteps very cool I think that's that's about it that's about it I hope we we weren't too harsh on him <laughs> I like I have this torn feeling over Governor Phipps like you lived a really cool life and you just kind of came in at the wrong time yeah yeah like I said six months in either direction on that trip to England would have changed. Changed he, everything. He was dealt a bad hand. Yeah. And he probably saw it as his, like, crowning glory. Like, oh, my gosh, I'm the governor of Massachusetts He's now. like, I, I got knighted. I got treasure hunts. I'm the governor of New England. I got this wife just waiting here for me. Witches. And then witches ruined it all. It's a shame. Before we go, I did want to mention that we are planning to do an episode on descendants from the witch trials. So we'll be tackling some like quote unquote famous descendants, people that have known about, or people that have recently found out about their uh, family ties. If you've watched who, who do you think you are? Um, It's like a big thing right now. People finding out that they're related to either an accused or an accuser. And I don't know about you, but, I get descendants all the time on tour. We see a lot of them come through in October. So if you are related to either an accused, an accuser, a victim, maybe one of the judges, maybe you're related to Governor Phipps. Oh, wait, no, that's not possible because he didn't have any children. Never mind. (laughs) Wow. But if you are related to any of these people, please Send us an email, uh-huh. hello at SalemThePodcast.com. Tell us your story, how you found out, what it means to you. We want to hear it, and we want to share it with our listeners. So that's going to be a super fun episode coming up this summer. That's it. I think that's it. Thanks for listening. See you later. Mm-hmm.